16 to 1, a podcast about education, teaching, and learning. doing good how are you i'm good good uh what are we drinking water on the rocks water on the rocks i'm <laughs> drinking wine in preparation for drinking more wine in preparation for the presidential debate tonight yeah. we're recording this round one. one round one of president presidential debating nights um in the cleveland yeah it's up there in the great state of ohio in the great state of ohio ohio the heart of it all where we are they changed our phrase right oh yeah our state motto it's or like something. where something happens where where everything happens can i look it up where only a couple of things happen <laughs> oh i looked up the ohio motto and it, motto and it says with god all things are possible i think that is the official motto but, but there's the... like a tourist motto okay I'll, I'll search that one moment excuse my clicking oh find it here that's what it is find it here remember when we were driving we were like what <laughs> What will you find? The other one, okay, Ohio, the heart of it all. I like that has one. Has been in use since 1984 to promote oh, tourism. You just googled it. Stop it. No, I yeah, I did, but yeah, I'm just we did, yeah. But I'm just saying, I I think the new one is kind of dumb. Because I like the heart of it all. I like the heart of it all. I don't like find it here because you don't know what it is, and I you might not want to find all part the of the charm here. <laughs> it's all here to be found. Like, I don't want to find the creature from the Black Lagoon here. I don't think that's what you can hope for. I don't want to find. Anyway, there are lots of things. You're going to find a lot of things yeah. here you don't want to. Yeah, so that's why I don't. I'm just. Anyways. From the perspective of somebody who enjoys language, I find it to be a little off putting. It is a big word. It. It's loaded. Yeah, okay, so. But think of all the things. <laughs> think of all the it's you can imagine. And all of. You find they're it. They're all here in Ohio. Ahara. Uh, Ahara. So, anything new? Worthwhile? Uh, no, you know, there's not a whole lot going on. I'm just working a lot, trying to keep mm-hmm. busy, still mm-hmm. trying to move. Almost done with that. That's mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to maintain energy levels through the pandemic. So. Trying. Trying to remember how to be social occasionally in a distance fashion, but still just like, you know, generally trying to remember what human interaction is supposed to feel like and be like <laughs> i had social anxiety before this so imagine now <laughs> when it's like yeah i was not great at, at, at all kinds of socializing before this and now i'm also woefully out of practice <laughs> i'm only getting worse <laughs> so the problems are starting to compound uh what are we talking about this week you chose the topic this week oh did i you always say that <laughs> I never remember actually choosing. I suppose I... You have the brain of a goldfish. I thought you said you wanted to talk about voting. I said I wanted to talk about voting, but you said you had already wanted to do an episode on civic education. Yeah, civic education was one of the ones, was one of the topics that I had picked out early on when we were coming up with topics for the show. So, so I guess I chose it. We, we we both chose aspects of it. How about that? It's well, a... I wanted to talk about it because it's important and timely. It's timely. And we need to be focusing we on like it. We like to be timely, but also evergreen. And it's a little challenging sometimes. But this one kind of lined up nicely. So we're going to do a little bit talking about voting and voting rights in the United States, but also just generally uh, about civic education. Mm-hmm. And again, as with all things on this podcast, we're mostly going to be talking about the perspective of people in the American education system, because that's what we know. And... We're going to try to know other things at some point in time, but we don't know them yet. So we're not really talking. <laughs> give me about, time. Give me time. We're not talking about education, civic education outside of our country because that's what we know. But This is episode 20. Yeah. So okay. maybe at episode 300, we'll start with. <laughs> we'll start acknowledging that there are other places in the world. <laughs> that's like 15 years. I think we're fine. <laughs> we're in 15 years. We'll get to other countries. I, I don't want to be, you know, just sort of. Uh, I don't want to be exclusive or position us first or best or anything like that. It's just we talk about what we know, but we always are learning new things and we're always trying to discover new topics and we're... But to our credit, I feel like we do mix it in when we can. We try like Montessori, to. Montessori. I mean, we've talked Yeah, about we don't know anything things. about Montessori and we talked about it for a while, so, you know. No, I meet you as Italian. Oh, <laughs> come on. Well, yes, there's that. Um, 
Yeah, no, we're, we're planning to have some guests on the show to talk about education in other parts of the world. But anyway, we're going to talk about civic education here in the old U.S. of A. So what is it? Uh, so it has a pretty broad definition, but it means it's kind of learning about all of the processes that affect people's beliefs, commitments, capabilities, and actions as members of communities or prospective members of communities. I'm stealing this definition from the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, which I kind of like because it's just, you know, it's lofty and but yet succinct and it kind of covers all the bases. So it, it doesn't need to be intentional or deliberate, which I think sometimes people don't understand, but institutions and communities can transmit values and norms without meaning to. Hmm. And they often do that. <laughs> Hello, uh, <laughs> it is us. So when we talk about civic education, we're talking about it from the perspective of kind of what happens at schools for the most part, but this also happens informally everywhere all the time. Yeah. So it also might not be beneficial. We usually think we're talking about something beneficial when we're talking about civic education, but especially with those more informal modes of civic education, people might be civically educated ways that disempower them or impart harmful values and goals like we said it's not limited to schooling and education of of kids uh because families governments religions and mass media are also some of the institutions involved in civic education so it's a lifelong process there's a lot encompassed in it it doesn't necessarily it sounds like it would be a good thing but it doesn't necessarily have to go in the direction of a good thing it's very complicated sure So I think that's our first problem. So some of the questions that you might ask yourself if you're a student of civics, and these are, again, very broad, but they can get much more particular. So stuff like, who has the full rights and obligations of a citizen? Um, This is often contested when it comes to children and immigrants and people who have been convicted of felonies, at least in the United States. Mike. What? Mike. He just paid for... Oh, Michael Bloomberg. Bloomberg. Yes, Michael Bloomberg. Just Sorry, a paid. bunch of his signs when he you was still running. You just randomly said Mike, and I was well, like, who are you A talking? lot of his signs just said Mike. Do you not remember that? They did. It was kind of like Jeb, <laughs> yeah. exclamation point. But that's what I'm saying, because he just paid for a bunch of uh, their fees and he fines just, or whatever yeah. so in Florida. Florida passed this law a while back that said that people who had been convicted of felonies could be restored. They could have their voting rights restored if they paid all something i forget the wording exactly but it was like fees and like court fees and something like other money this yeah so mm. even just like g- going to prison you owe the state money which i i i i i'm not sure how that all works but you get out of prison and you owe the government money essentially and a lot of people who have just been in prison for years and years and years have no money because of being imprisoned and we're talking about a population who is unfortunately majority right like underserviced uh minorities or people of color or something like that so essentially what happened in florida though that was recently in the news because of mike bloomberg was that these fees hadn't been paid by i mean i think thousands of people who weren't able to vote because of it. And we're talking about uh, people of color, minorities, all sorts of people who then, after being released from jail or prison or whatever, wouldn't obviously um, quickly have the funds maybe to go and get that right back, essentially, is what they had to do. They had to buy their, you know, their given right as a U.S. citizen to vote. And so that was stripped from them as just one more act of Mm -hmm. voter concerns. So Mike Bloomberg just paid a lot of money to Florida to help allow for more Floridians to vote, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which was great of Mike. Yeah. So Florida, I think maybe Kentucky and Virginia, a couple other states impose, or at least until recently with Florida, have imposed lifelong denial of rights to vote for citizens with a felony record. I don't like that. I... What's the wording of the Constitution? The 14th Amendment, uh, the wording of it is the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. Well, that's it, right? (laughs) By definition? Well, apparently legal scholars do not agree that prison is a condition of servitude. I have questions. So, 
I mean, I'm going to say guys because they're probably guys <laughs> also. I'm just going to use the gendered language if you don't mind because I feel pretty strongly it was a majority of guys who decided that wasn't true. Yeah, I Sorry. <laughs> I really do not I do not understand this one and it, it, for a certain population it, they just treat it as like a duh kind of thing that like yeah, if you're a felon you you felon you don't get to vote, which to me is problematic for a whole variety of reasons. I guess I just they're still citizens. Yeah, they're still citizens of the country. They're still expected to abide by rules and laws, and they're still expected to be represented by people in government. So, you know, I this is not to excuse felonies. It's just to say that I'm not sure why crimes, even of a, a, a Any serious nature. degree, there are people who are screwed up in all kinds of different ways, <laughs> you know, and that does not mean that they therefore are denied the right to vote. So it's strange that felony convictions would cause that denial. But anyway, it just... No, I'm mad. Well, I just... The issue one, to me, seems to be a constitutional one. I don't... I don't understand how those states were able to get away with that on the constitutional basis. But anyway, Mm -hmm. that was a meandering ramble. So anyway, yeah, Mike Mike Bloomberg paying fines of felons so they can now register to vote which is obviously seen as a pretty charged political move given the way voters like that tend to vote but pretty interesting but pretty it's interesting. highlighting just some of the the issues of the system yeah absolutely so even if i mean regardless of who these people may vote for i want everyone to vote i want everyone to have their that right you know yeah, and I that's want every I want every citizen right? like that's the argument right. because these people then are being treated as if they've lost a privilege. Right, but this it's not a not. privilege, it's a right. Right, but I'm it's saying right. that's the line that's been drawn essentially saying that voting then is a privilege. Right. Which it isn't. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just not like it's not legally. It's not a privilege. Mm-hmm. Uh people say that in in sort of common parlance, but it's it's I mean I do feel privileged that I am able to vote in this country. Don't but get me wrong. But it's not because of. But it's not <laughs> legally. It does not have yeah. the pra- the 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 place of privilege. It is the it has the place of right for citizens of this country. So, um, anyway, Whew. that was uh, yeah. Fix so tonight. okay, so that was a question of civics that we just talked about in great detail. We answered uh, it. I think we yeah, know we, now. we answered it. Moving on. Please record um, this and send it to so, them immediately. Another question. Who may decide what constitutes good citizenship? Sort of related to what we were just talking about. I like uh, this. One. Like, who gets to decide who's a citizen in good standing, you know? In what communities ought we see ourselves as citizens? The nation state or the country is not the only, you know, candidate for community that we should see ourselves as a citizen of. So some people see themselves as citizens of local communities, yeah. um, organizations, movements, loosely defined groups, or even the world as a whole. I have a hard time with that one. Not because I'm not, but the because world I as don't a whole. think in a, yeah. Yeah, when I was at Columbia, there was this big, I wish I could remember the term for it, but it was this sort of study of the thought of global citizenship. Hmm. Uh, not that we aren't. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think are. that in the sense that, you know, all humans maybe share something qua human, but I'd... Uh, I think we're all responsible for, like, care. That's, like, where I go with that. Like, for cohabitating with our fellow humans, sure. anyway. But, like, we all should be taking care of this place is kind yeah. of where I go as a citizen. Another question, what responsibilities does a citizen of each kind of community have? Do all members of each community have the same responsibilities? Ought there to be significant differences, for example, between elders and children or leaders mm. and other members? What means of civic education are ethically appropriate? This is a real interesting one. What means of civic education are ethically appropriate? And what is the relationship between a good regime and, a, and good citizenship? Yeah. I wish we were talking about a lot of these things in more pressing terms right now. But Okay, so why is it important? That's the question. Yeah. If schools have worked it in and marked it out over time and time again, <laughs> yeah, why is this important yeah. when it seems that we don't learn all that much from it when we do learn? I mean, <laughs> or when we are taught it, I should say. I have say. a note down here, actually, about our very favorite no. piece of legislation, No Child Left Behind. No. Um, which we I talked quit. about. We talked about it briefly in our Comic Core episode, but No Child Left Behind was a piece of legislation that w- talked about civic education, but was actually criticized after the fact because it the- didn't do it. Well, the push for high-stakes testing and especially focus on math and science 
pushed out a lot of civic civics curriculum uh, curricula. So even though it paid lip service to civics education, it actually resulted in a net loss of time for civics education in American schools. So anyway, uh, yeah, it's important. <laughs> Maybe the main and most pressing and immediate way in which it's important is because we need to be educated voters in this democratic republic so i've been talking about this a lot with my kids and mm -hmm. like assessing media and mm -hmm. understanding that it's important to even if you don't agree with each side or whatever side really you, you should still be reading that mm -hmm. side mm -hmm. to at least give you kind of a gauge of understanding you know what i mean like on on the extremes mm -hmm. what are the stories mm -hmm. so i think that us knowing that 56% of the U.S. voting age population cast ballots in 2016, which was nice, except for representing a slight uptick compared to 2012, but not as high as 2008. I mean, to me, you said that's nice, but I don't know if that's really nice to me. Uh, like, a little more than half of people who can vote. I mean, I guess it's actually nice compared vote. to 2012, right? Uh, uh, am I right? Sure. Right? Yeah. No, no. I just meant that I find it in general disturbing that only about half of people you know a little more than half people oh i'm not excited about that do. number but i don't want to see it go down sure so i'm, sure. I'm happy to see any sort of growth mm -hmm. but i guess what i was trying to say is that this type of civic education is important because the, one of the most crucial things you can learn during this learning is um, the role of media and the importance of media and sort of the, the gifts and the horrors of the First Amendment. You and I mean, like, these are all things that come to my head as being really important. So, mm -hmm. like, with my students, I spend a lot of time being like, all right, what's this website doing? You know what I mean? Like, just that kind of thing. You teach media, actually, right? Yeah. In addition to English. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think that is an important thing that people ever increasingly need to uh, be educated about, uh, especially with the role the internet plays in shaping the ebb and flow of democracy yeah. in this country. So I mean, I, think, I want more people voting. That's not what this yeah. is about. But I guess what what I was trying to say, simply put, is that it's important. The civic education is important for the means of understanding later the the roles that you can play, mm -hmm. and to best use your role as a voter. Right, is to assess media and to make you know, well-informed decisions. Mm -hmm. So that yeah. was my short yeah. of it, I suppose. Yeah, I think civic education generally, and it does encompass the media element, is important because it governs so much of your day-to-day -day existence mm -hmm. in ways that you don't even know is happening mm -hmm. all the time. But civics, the way that you have <laughs> tacitly or expressly agreed to coexist with your fellow humans in an organized community that has a government, that's kind of at the heart of all sorts of just the way you are a social animal. So what are some of the things that are typically taught in civic civic education courses in schools in America? Ooh. Well, over time, they've tried to teach a lot. Uh-huh. I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know if we can report back that it's super effective. Yeah, you and I but were... But we <laughs> they have about tried. This, right. When we were talking about this episode, you and I went through a list of kind of stuff that we remember being taught in our civics-type courses in yeah. high school. Like, I remember seventh grade history was, like, local stuff. So, uh -huh. like, the history of Ohio. You know what I mean? So... And that's where I remember being introduced to, like, Schoolhouse Rock and, like, the three branches of government. I mean, I definitely knew that before, but I remember seventh grade being, like, the place where we really kind of broke it down. Yeah. It often happens. It, it dovetails with history classes a lot of times. There are specific classes, like, government mm -hmm. and... I took one in high school called Roots of American Democracy. And, you know, there are things that are specifically devoted toward yeah. to uh, those kind of topics within the general umbrella of civic education. But, yeah, yeah. So I remember those types of things you were talking about, too. And we'll talk about some of them in a little more detail. But Well, I would say that one of the most important things is, like, the founding of American democracy, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then the history of voting in the U.S. And these are problematic just to be blunt in that there's some serious whitewashing occurring and there's some bias in the story obviously but that doesn't mean yeah it shouldn't i mean it should be told clearly but yeah we, we're going to talk about a little bit about things that are taught and things that aren't taught that maybe should be we I talked about this with like a i'm sorry okay. we talked about this a little bit with the ruby bridges episode and just that is an example of mm -hmm. uh 
desegregation in America. Yeah. And how the story that we heard and that we remember from mm. school is not so much like the story that yeah. and i just covered really the real happened. story of rosa parks with my students mm-hmm. and they could not believe that mm-hmm. she wasn't mm-hmm. like some tired old woman who like just didn't feel like getting up that's the way she's depicted in, right like that's the she was story in a, in a she's like this that, fragile right. exhausted older woman and ruby or sorry yeah sorry they're going back and forth mm-hmm. in my head because we've talked about them mm-hmm. but rosa parks wasn't tired mm-hmm. well i mean she was tired but not of being on the bus and her feet hurt she was tired of the system so mm-hmm. she's not portrayed as uh the the absolute fire of a woman that she was you know sure, but it's sure. easier to tell kids that this sad tired old lady who wasn't in- not intimidating you know yeah I, I, will, I will say that i remember my and i, I understand that there's a trade-off where you can't necessarily cover every complicated aspect of every story in like a history class or a government class or something like that. Yeah. But, but I do think that there was just a little bit too much dumbing down in the direction of, isn't this a nice story? And you leave out all of the, the horrible struggle. parts of it. You leave out the struggle. <laughs> right. And the horrible parts and the, you leave, when you leave out those parts of those kinds of stories, especially with regard to like voting rights and stuff like that, you leave out, why that fight's so important to begin with it just becomes a factoid that you have to memorize for yeah. a test and so without you know I, I don't think we have to brutalize students with descriptions of our history but we do in some ways have brutal histories <laughs> so right. we need to uh i think we need to find a little bit of a better balance so that people understand and become aware of and remember and pass on the urgency of these kinds of questions of citizenship so can i tell you a meme really quickly that i think fits this perfectly absolutely it's about the um argument surrounding columbus day Uh uh-huh and if it obviously should not be celebrated even Mm -hmm. though we live in ohio and Mm -hmm. we're named for him unfortunately and so someone on it was a screenshot but someone on a facebook comment was like i don't care i'm gonna keep celebrating columbus day and someone replied and was like are you just gonna walk around lost in kroger looking for spices the whole time (laughs) (laughs) but it's like the story that we've been told, right, like growing up of like Columbia and like th- An God forbid Thanksgiving, right. like we have not been told the truth. So but it just made me laugh because we couldn't just be walking around Kroger lost looking for spice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not to put it so simply, but essentially. Yeah, we tend to make heroes out of people who happen to be first to do something or adventurous, like adventurous people can be heroic but aren't by default like magellan and vespucci and yeah all those guys that we had to memorize the textbooks yeah uh, but also like difference. this conversation happened with hamilton too was like do we make the right? musical yeah. yeah but do we make these hero by celebrating this you know linda miranda piece mm-hmm. which is complicated it is anyways yeah <clears throat> can you just because we have this opportunity and because we are coming up on election season, yeah. can you just take us through? I know this is some of some of your uh, passion and background is in this this area. So my calling. Uh, yeah, your I'm history. I'm going to go quickly. Your history background on um, just, yeah, take us through the sort of a brief annotated history of yes. voting in the U.S. Because for many of our listeners, I'm sure we've forgotten a lot of this since when we learned it in high school or middle school. Or we're just like toss names and we're not really like sticking with it. you and i mean like we're like oh yeah susan b anthony is important and then we move on i think we should re I'd be forced to like relearn the history of voting rights in the united states every time we vote at least in a presidential election it would be nice right what if that was like a, a quick quiz you did not a quiz i can't you can't take that yeah you can't you can't <laughs> you can't quiz i was mostly people just like they vote. I, in my head i wanted them to get a little <laughs> slideshow before they got to vote oh that would be nice and then they could be like be advanced like to little, move uh, through it like historically yeah, that's what like i meant the, more of a quiz more like an interactive experience of learning it'd be like the little newsreels that you used to yes patriotic newsreels yes. you used to watch um, before the movie yeah come on something like that but so like you know no no quiz required but just a little refresher course on why and how you're exercising your right to vote that you even if you just have to click through it a bunch because you're mad at it you'd still have to yeah anyways okay so here's where we start 1776 and before only men who owned property who were mainly okay so basically it breaks down to mostly white christian guys over 21 and they have the right to over vote. Over 21, right? Yes. So we're going to go quite a bit um, over 100 years, right? Over almost almost 200 years, actually. 
before the voting age changes. But to start, it's 21 and over. Mm-hmm. Um, so this means it's a really tiny population. And actually, just 6% of those in the new America were even eligible to vote to elect George Washington in 1789. So that's how tiny this population was. So that's how strong these voices were. Mm-hmm. Um Moving on, 1856, then... Oh, just, just to pause, that, that's exactly what you're talking about with the sort of, like, the story of Hamilton, but just, like, I remember that that story of the creation of our country. I mean, and it, this is not to say that it wasn't incredible and that we don't have an extraordinary, extraordinary amount of freedoms as citizens of the United States, because we do, but it the story is often painted as one of, oh, these firebrands like paving the way for representative (laughs) democracy and it's like six percent of the population it's not six (laughs) percent of the population decided who was in charge of our new republic yeah so anyway not that george washington was a bad pick but imagine what could have happened if there were i mean honestly maybe if there'd been more than six percent they wouldn't have been like you know what you should be george king Mm -hmm. anyways Mm -hmm. 1856 the right to vote was extended to all white men so not quite a hundred years 1868, we have the 14th Amendment, which is very complicated because it does grant African-American citizenship, but not the right to vote. Mm -hmm. Uh, This amendment directs that, quote, no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. But even then, southern states used all kinds of things to basically practice voter suppression Mm -hmm. um, and also just other ways to suppress, obviously, any sort of colored person. But it's a start, I guess, if we're looking for the, the good part. Anyways, 1870, come along with me. This is the 15th <clears throat> Amendment, and it prevents the federal or state government from denying the right to vote to citizens based on their race. So two years later, we've got a new amendment. And so while this extended the right to vote to black men in the South, uh, political leaders of post-Civil War, Reconstruction, and Jim Crow, of course, they started building basically other measures that would keep these people from the polls. Um, this this is why we, when you were just talking about quizzing people. I know. I think that's why I said it, because I just read this. But really what I meant was just like a follow me through the history, you know. Yeah. So part of I that was... an interactive learning. But this is the problem. They had to pass right. a literacy test. Right. That is not what I was doing. But uh, poll taxes. Yes. Um, right. But it would mandate voters to pay a tax to cast a ballot, obviously. It required black voters to get a white person to vouch for them. Yeah, go ahead. I'm curious as to the specifics of that. No one in the South would have done that. <laughs> I'm having a hard time just... imagining who did it. I mean, oh. I want to believe that someone would. I'm sure there were cases. But basically what this did, it just intimidated and caused violence. Because even though they had the right, they couldn't really practice. You know what I mean? It just made it. Right. I mean, it's just. You don't really have a right bad. if you can't actually do it because of all of these. Well, other you can't things. do it independently. It's like, okay. You have to have someone with you. The federal government might technically be mandating that I have the right to vote, but that does not mean that I can actually therefore go and vote. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. 1872. Susan B. Anthony and Sojourner Truth are arrested or uh, turned away for trying to vote. So this is like Elizabeth Cady Stanton and the gals and some men as well trying to help women secure the vote. That's for women. That's for women. It's we break into Mary Poppins. It's my favorite part of Mary Poppins. <laughs> That's for women. <laughs> okay. And then, <laughs> yeah. I forgot about their signs. Okay. 1890. Wyoming is my new favorite state. Wyoming becomes the first U.S. state to grant women the right to vote. And so after Wyoming did this, it actually, 18 other states followed suit. Historians, though, this was part of the the humor of it. They said that Wyoming and these other Western states were letting women vote because uh, they needed more people to move to their state. And so that they were hoping that would attract people to move there. Ladies. Ladies, come to Wyoming. There's nothing but voting. Get your voting rights (laughs) here in the great state of Wyoming. Nothing else for you, but you can vote. Okay. Okay. Interesting tactic. So that was, you know, 1890. Anyway, we can get it, (laughs) I I guess. If we have to go to Wyoming, the women will be there. Okay. So 1920. This is the 19th Amendment, and it grants suffrage to women, uh, to women, but not all Native American and Asian women are included in this citizenship. 
So Native American and Asian women are mostly or most commonly often denied citizenship by the federal government because of all kinds of other troubles that will actually come back into in just a second. But this prevented them from being recognized as citizens, so they still could not vote, even though the Native Americans were here before. Well, anyways, okay, 1924, <laughs> here we go. The Indian Citizenship Act is passed, which actually does give them full citizenship, but they should have been giving I'm it sorry. to us. Okay, can we just pause and like... No, I'm mad. I can have we to just keep pause, going or I'll riot. Can we just pause at... This is one of those things that is not framed in any way usefully in in middle school and high school courses. Like, the Indian Citizenship Act in 1924... Gave people who predated. It's not even a hundred years old. Right, the people who were giving, the people who were giving, supposedly giving citizenship to people who had lived here for gazillions of years before. Yes. Anyway, and okay. that we t- anyways. Okay. Yeah. Um. Okay. So that was 1924. So that's for Native Americans to be a full citizen, which would give them voting rights. Okay. But many states still probably well, would it's still a problem. Them, I imagine but there is yeah. I mean, honestly, it's still a problem, but here we are. So then in 1952, we have the McCarran-Walter Act, and that grants Asian Americans the right to become citizens. And this actually kind of blew my mind, because this is only seven years post-World War II. Mm -hmm. And so we're following, like, actual Japanese internment camps in the United States, where we ripped Japanese Americans. um, American citizens. From Japanese. their homes, yeah. their wherever, to be put in internment camps because of this fear, because of Japan's attack. Um, so this this act did surprise me because I didn't realize it was just seven years post World War Two. So yeah, I'm um, a little bit surprised of our. Well, of our I imagine quick it was probably like there. a look. Everything's okay. It might have been. Look at what we because that's kind of how the U.S. likes to do things. This is, honestly, this era is a bit of a gray area for me in terms of my own. Oh, well, let me tell you about it. Yeah, this is my yeah. prime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, that was 1952, and that was Asian Americans mm-hmm. uh, becoming citizens. So 1965, just to keep moving ahead, Congress passes the Historic Voting Rights Act, Rights Act which we talked about some in Ruby Bridges. Yeah. Um, which removed discriminatory barriers that kept many people of color from voting. So while the 24th Amendment had already outlawed poll taxes in 1964, um, this then banned literacy tests, and which was still part of what they were using to keep uh, African Americans from voting. It's still not fixed even then, but it's a step even still. Mm-hmm. 1971, this is when it finally happens. The voting age is moved from 21 to 18 because of the Vietnam War. And it was basically, um, (laughs) I hate to say it this way, but it was basically like, hey, we really need you to come fight for us. So you're going to also get to vote because you're too young to otherwise. Yeah. Because we're talking about 18-year-olds who are being... Pretty sure that's why the smoking age was also lowered. It is. And I think that, well, I I have to check. I'm trying to remember if that's true. I think alcohol was part of that factor as well. Yeah, I remember at least because there's like three two beer. I was gonna say I think our parents could drink three two beer at yeah. some point growing yeah, up. Yeah, they anyway. they definitely could. What is three two beer for our listeners? It's don't... a lighter beer. It's like a beer with less alcohol in it. Yeah, basically. it's just a lower percentage. It's gross beer. Anyway, um, okay, so that was 1971. So since 1971, we have been eligible to vote since we were 18. In 1993, we see the National Voter Registration Act being passed, and that makes it easier to register at DMVs and public assistance centers. But I just if did that. You are trying to go to a DMV, you're already on a bad side of <laughs> okay, your life. So. I went to the, this actually <laughs> PSA for our listeners. Because Can I say my one last piece? Well, it's about DMV. Go ahead. I just hate the DMV so much. I know. So I went to the DMV because I had to get I my I also Ohio. call it the DMZ more often. The, D- the demilitarized <laughs> But zone. it kind of feels like it. <laughs> it's as bleak Tell as me I'm wrong. the DMZ. <laughs> no. no, the Department of Motor Vehicles... <laughs> In Maryland, it was the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. But either way, I just had to go there to get my new driver's license since I'm moving. And you can travel. Yeah. I got a, what is it, the TSA compliant You're like ones. a, you got I'm a star. A, I'm a real girl. Yeah. Uh, but I uh, I went and I, I <laughs> the the lady who was doing it was like, would you re- like to register to vote? And this was one of the main reasons I went when I did because I'm like, I'm moving to Ohio. I've been here for a little while, but like. 
when you're in the process of moving over a course of a couple of weeks, it's like, when do you officially get here? But I decided I was like, okay, I'm going to switch everything over in plenty of time so I can vote you need to be able in to Ohio and yeah. the election. So I was, she was like, would you like to register to vote? I'm like, yes, please. And she asked me my address or whatever. And I was like, okay, are you going to send me a voter registration card? Or mm. she's like, I don't know. <laughs> and I was like, uh, oh, the voter fraud will be committed from within. That's a thing that Promise. you should know. So then after that, I didn't trust the system at all. And I was obsessively checking up to see whether I had been, whether my application yeah. for voter registration had and been approved. Good. No, the first time I checked, they were like, nope, we have no record of your voter Ooh. registration here. So I submitted another application That's online good. because I didn't even know if it had been submitted or if it had been backlogged because but of you did COVID. Get- I did Proof. finally yeah, get approved good. and I got a card in the mail, which is why I was asking that lady, like, am I going to get a card? She was mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't know. Anyway, just, I, 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 even though it's supposed to make check. it easier There's to register. There's still time to yeah. check. Please check. In Ohio, you have to be registered to vote a month before the date of the election. Okay. The so you election, have like so. two days. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, by the Three time days. they hear this. Oh no, you're going to have two days. <laughs> it comes out the first. Yeah, so really... You have to go right now, go check, wherever like, you're right now. driving and listening to us. It may be, Very safely, yes. find an exit. Just go make sure, somewhere. Just pull off of the road and check to make sure that you are registered to vote because even if you think you are, you might not be because sometimes you magically disappear from voter rolls because that just happens. <laughs> anyway, the All last right. thing of my brief history of voting rights in America... It comes in the year 2000, and it's the federal court ruling that citizens of U.S. territories like Puerto Rico and Guam cannot vote in federal elections, even though they serve in the military at a higher rate than most groups. Anyways. That last point was not on your bullet point on the on the page, but uh, you seem... You can fact check it. I believe you. They do. They yeah. just they do serve at a very high rate. So we've got given their population. That's mostly the problem. Is that America has a number of problematic territories. I'm upset again. Yeah. DC DC statehood, DC federal election voting. I cut that part out. Yeah, well that's another territory. That's I know but the territory, just right? But we've taxation got without representation. Guam, Puerto Rico, all these places. <sighs> they're citizens. They're they citizens. are. They're part of Did us. Did you know that they're citizens? They're allowed. Some people here on the mainland don't know that Puerto Ricans are citizens of the United States. They're probably States. the same people who think that Alaska and Hawaii aren't related to us either. <laughs> Anyways. This is why citizenship education and civic education is important. And that's why I can't okay. say we'll take a test. Okay. Okay. Um, Anyways. So, okay, that is the whole history of voting. There are another couple of, like, brief little points on here that you and I both remembered as being part of and are still part of just things that civic we, education yeah, specifically remember so i when we were coming up with this list basically it was that we assume that we're guaranteed or based on this learning uh we think we are guaranteed life liberty and the pursuit of happiness but we are not that's in the declaration of independence yeah i just i not put that the constitution one in there. i put that one in there because people think that so so the declaration of independence is an interesting document because it's just like f you England and that's pretty much all it does it's like not there's, there's no government no. even at that point for it to be like a there's legally no binding document it's just a bunch of people well dudes getting together and saying we're <laughs> we them don't what like are. you anymore <laughs> but also what they're saying is we think these things are important which is which great is fine and they call them even unalienable rights which is also fine which is fine that you think that but you are not constitutionally guaranteed those, the pursuit of happiness, for example. Um, we are guaranteed liberties and we're guaranteed life by other laws, but like we're, there's nowhere actually that constitutionally guarantees us pursuit of happiness, which mm-hmm. everyone always thinks we have, but it's not a really right. So anyway, yeah, we learned about the Declaration of Independence. We learned about the Constitution. We learned about, some, I don't know, the Federalist Papers, other founding documents, yeah. other, like big major court cases. Sure. Um you we, mentioned that you had memorized like amendments and years of ratification. Yeah. I memorized amendments, but not the years. And I've actually gotten much better at the amendments now that I've gotten older. And I help tutor kids who I've gotten worse, it. having forgotten. Um, but it's only because I've gone back to it. And then you have a, on the list of pocket constitution. Oh my gosh! Well, this is why I'm so because I keep. <laughs> Do you forgetting. still have one in your pocket? Oh, yeah, is it? Well, I carry right it in now. my bag, not in my pocket. But you carry it in your bag just in case. I carry it in the bag that I take everywhere. And this is a thing that I learned that like actually like certain 
conservative political groups in the United States like pushed for a while, which I did not realize. I just carry it because I think it's important to know my rights at all times, but apparently it became like a sort of conservative think tank thing to do. But anyway, I do have away. a I do have a pocket constitution. No, no, see, I think I think it's worthwhile to have your rights with you at all times. So yeah. Uh yeah, so I mean we also learned about like the structure of government, like structure of local, state, national mm-hmm. government. We learned about, we did mock trials, like court cases in high school, which were really mm. fun. Um, cause we I only really remember doing like big cases. Like we didn't do a mock trial like you did, mm-hmm. but we did focus on, I mean, like I'm talking like Roe v. Wade level, like those were yeah, yeah, our yeah. focuses. We also talked a lot about some major Supreme Court cases and stuff right, like that. Right, that's, sorry, that's what I meant. But we did talk about, uh, we also did do the, did do the mock trials, which was really I really liked that because yeah. it it was the, it was the closest I've ever gotten to like the real nitty gritty of the procedure it's of cool. law. You acted, you know, like as a as a prosecutor or a defense whatever attorney were, yeah. or whatever it was. And the bailiff. Yeah, there were people who were the bailiff. There were people who were <laughs> witnesses. Yeah. Um, and then like you know, there's a panel of teacher judgey people um, who who are the jury yeah the judge but anyway um and then uh, just also stuff like this is what i really remember like the rule or the criteria for government officials i remember taking a whole test and listing all of the things you had to have in order to be president yeah or i remember all of those facts and figures like you gotta be 35 you you do 35 years old you have to yeah it's a lot which are i mean those are important things but it is but like what what you're not it's fine we, we talked about... I'll we get also, it right at trivia sometime. Yeah, it's a trivia thing. We uh, The State of the Union was randomly really important well, in my you, government class in high school. You got like a cool experience, though, because I didn't know this. We watched the show Designated Survivor, <laughs> like beginning of quarantine, probably. I knew about this. And Chelsea was like, oh, this is at the State of the Union. And this guy, he was HUD in that case, had been chosen HUD as... secretary. Yeah. Um as a as a designated survivor so at, at every state of the union there is there's one chosen. person of the, in the cabinet who is designated to not attend the state of the union and it's usually a more low level cabinet member who is not supposedly that politically hefty yeah. or important uh who is not there but in they're case, always left out and they're right. kept safe in case they're something in, is to happen they're in like an underground bunker somewhere in case the capital gets blown up yeah so yeah, when I was in high school, I had to watch the State of the Union uh, for a government class, and you had to figure out who we had it was. to figure out who the designated survivor was. So who was it that year? I honestly don't remember. I do not remember. No secretary, nothing. Not even like. I'm gonna get it wrong that's if I fine. guess. So I'm gonna tell your teacher, but it's fine. Don't tell her, please. Okay. But, but I do I like remember doing. I remember I doing cool. it. I remember doing yeah, it. Right, right. And I think not that I'm bashing like all of what we learn is like civic education is not being the most important. But I I do love the details of government that are like things like that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I was like joking. I really mocking, like, like weird procedural factoids I mean. about the government. And, like me knowing that a president has to be 35, like whatever. But I don't know. Anyways, lots of debates in school. Yeah, debate was kind of wrapped into civics um, because hypothetically you have to be able to have a rational conversation with someone Not on political, in the political arena to be elected. But yeah, yeah. so that was kind of generally what, what we did cover. We have also talked about stuff that was maybe left out or not covered in the way that it should be in civic education <sighs> in America. Well, I mean, obviously the whitewashing... Yes. Our founding fathers. Um, we did mention Native Americans as far as how they were treated. Yeah. What we did to them. I'm using we um, as a broad term, but I think we can agree. Uh-huh. And and just like in the stories of, you know, Ruby Bridges or Rosa Parks, like the way that we've catered this, you know. I think that's to the fit thing. Right, our history. Right. Like this history is whatever. I think that's what I want to say is that I don't even necessarily think it's all the time malicious. I think sometimes it is, but I think no. that it's like it's dumbed down because they're very difficult topics and we're obviously generalizing, but you you and I both come from rural small town Midwestern America yeah. as our educational background. And in those contexts especially, things get kind of we like level out the the jagged edges sure. in a way that obfuscates the truth. I well, think. and I and so. I think that there's merit in saying that we have to teach 
what is appropriate based on the age of the the child, right? Like, I understand that there are certain things that happened in third third grade that you can't be, like, I mean, because I was young when I remember being taught about Rosa Parks. Uh So, like, I think there's also understanding your audience, which is important. And, like, when I did the um, Rosa Parks TED Talk with my students, one of my students, like, in her response to me said that her mom is an elementary elementary age teacher. And when she learned, like, kind of the whole nasty story of Christopher Columbus, she stopped teaching him just Uh as, like, the normal... Yeah, I guess that's and part so of my question. Is like, why do we have to teach that story to kids that young if it right. means we're going to tell them something a woefully inaccurate yeah. version of the story? But I think it's also, I mean, the worst part and maybe the biggest glaring issue is that it was never cleared up. Like, never in my young life was I ever told exactly what happened to Rosa Parks. I just, for a long time, you know, thought. She was just a tired woman. So, like, it's not even, like, we get to revisit it and learn the more detailed, accurate, like, that part of it. At a certain point, everyone's just like, oh, everybody knows that story. Yeah, but, like, but all I have of really. my Thanksgiving brain is, like, just drawing little people sitting around a table. And, mm-hmm. like, that's not the story of Thanksgiving either. But no one later in high school was like, no, let's talk about things. You know, like, there was no follow-up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, those are just some of the problems. But... Yeah, another one of my pet peeve issues, and this is especially poignant in this part of the country, again, and we're talking more about kind of more localized issue, but because we live in rural, small town, Midwestern America, the issue of the way the Electoral College, its inception Boom. and its existence, <laughs> sorry, the Electoral College's inception and existence is taught is a little bit problematic because we often leave out the fact that why it was, was built. Yeah, there was an alternative option on the table. Uh, This guy named James Wilson proposed direct national election of the president. So one for one. A vote vote, for a vote. A vote is a vote. The popular vote, as we now call it. But but we have this guy named James Madison, who you may have heard of, who is, uh, he's thinking, hmm, if we do that, this is going to be a bit unacceptable for my lovely lady, the South. Uh, It's... Sorry, I wasn't expecting my lovely lady the South my lovely to come lady, out of your mouth today. The South. If I'm James Madison, that's how I think of her, my lovely lady. He doesn't like this because the he population... He knows it's not going to go well for the South. He knows it's not going to go well for the South because so much of the population of the South is made... He's enslaved. ...is enslaved black people who cannot vote. Um... So in the direct in a direct election system of vote for vote, the North would have outnumbered the South. Obviously, that's where all the population centers are at this point in the founding of the country. I mean, even still, yeah, I would say, like, yeah. But so the North would have outnumbered the South, and that you know we don't like that if we are in the South. So Madison comes up with a prototype of what becomes the Electoral College. Well, I'm mad at him now too. <laughs> he he says, okay, let's just let each Southern state count its slaves, albeit with a two fifths discount, and compute its share of the overall count. So he's just saying, like, okay, this is my way around being disenfranchised because I've enslaved so many people down here. Well, the real problem is that James Madison didn't let Dolly say enough. And had he let Dolly Madison near anything, it would have been much better. Hello, Dolly. She's the one who saved the portraits in the White House when it was burning. Oh, good for her. I'll tell you that later. Oh, actually, fun fact, James Madison and I, same height. (laughs) You're welcome. I have a picture of biographical information. Me and James Madison. Oh, <laughs> um, it's important. So anyway, just you know, that's the 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 really troubling inception of what we now know as the Electoral College is kind of left out of the history books when we're talking about high school civics lessons. But well, also, the other compromise is covered, but not in that way. Right. We talk about the three fifths compromise, but it's just like it makes it sound like a good thing. <laughs> it makes it sound like this it's like just... look what we did. We made them almost a whole person because it's a compromise, guys. It's like oh okay. It's anyway, so yep. Other things I wish I would have known. Yeah, these are there are some more way more practical ones that you and I came up with. I said I wish I would have been taught like getting, having, and renewing a passport, just like in general, how it works. A passport. The benefits of it, what I can use it for. Because it's actually a really important document. Yes. And my parents didn't have passports because they never traveled. And I think for a long time, it was just viewed as something you should have when you travel. Yes. But it's actually, like, great to have for a ton of reasons. Yeah. Um, Mine expired. I need to get it renewed. You do. So. Uh, the other thing that I told Chelsea I wish we could have done more of is, like, understanding how to vote. Like, how do you find where to go? How do you what? How do you check your registration? 
Um, and then also just like the election process for local politics. Like I feel like I understood pretty well like the federal levels of stuff. Not that that's not important, but I feel like day to day most of us can say like locals really, really crucial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I wish I would have learned more about uh, the, you know, the runnings, I guess I would say, of local politics. Yeah. Yeah. Local politics are not often emphasized in especially high school civics courses. It's more like state and mm-hmm. national yeah. stuff. I had wished that we would learn have learned more about the tax code. Sometimes this Me happens too. in like I'm accounting so classes. People do tax stuff. But I just, even just a kind of general overview of... I'm 30 and I still call my parents with tax questions. Well, even just like the systems and history of taxation, different kinds of taxation, how you are taxed how and when your tax money is collected like just all kinds of i mean i know that they were like oh tax day but like i didn't know tax day was like you know i've never i didn't know either until i went into business for myself and i do my like i'm a independent contractor now so all that stuff that i used to not really worry about all that much Mm because it was just withheld by my employer now i have to do all these calculations myself and like the first time i had like a big kid job and like got a return I was like, look at all this money I got back. And my dad was immediately like, you're having too much taken out. You're giving the government a loan. (laughs) And I was like, oh, this isn't good. And he's like, it's just your money. (laughs) I was like, oh, I'm not excited anymore. (laughs) Yeah. What else? Oh, yeah. I made a mention that I really wanted to learn more about the enforcing of law, policing, and the prison system in America. Because we were kind of talking about this a little bit earlier but especially now these things are very much in the news and in in the news yeah in the news and in the public consciousness but yeah i I, especially the prison system and how how the law can itself end up in people being disenfranchised let's just say to put it broadly i wish we just would cover that stuff in it feels like ignoring it in civic education does a great disservice to us because then we're very ill-equipped to confront injustices when they occur. And the other, the last thing, if you don't mind, that I said that I wish we had learned more about was like um, social opportunities and community outreach and programs and things like that that could be helpful for all sorts of things. You and I mean, like, I feel like even in a small school, we were never really tied back to the community to say like, these are the resources that can help you. And this is, you and I mean, like, even just like the work of social workers or something like that. Like I, I wish we could have been taught more about all kinds of things that, that help people that we just didn't even know existed then. Yeah. Yeah. So I think more directly connecting uh, young people with like volunteer opportunities as it relates to civic stuff. So like being a poll worker and stuff like yeah. that, just letting people know that they can do that kind of stuff. Being yeah. Election judges being, you know, mm-hmm. uh, oh, talking about like jury duty, which everyone despises, but it's part Ugh. of your civic duty. You it know? is. I went and did it uh, for a so long time. I've never been called in a way that I was. So I, knew I was called way after I moved out of Ohio by Ohio. Oh, really? Yeah. I had changed all of my paperwork and everything. I was like very much legally a citizen of Maryland, but Ohio still was like, hey, it's time to come do jury duty. And I'm like, I haven't done I don't it in live in Ohio. This current county. I did it in the last county. And it yeah. was. Yeah, that's a story for another day. Sounds fun. But anyway, so yeah, those are just kind of some of the things that really could be covered more thoroughly in our system of civic education. So how do we tie this all to formal education? What's that look like? What can schools do? What do schools do? Yeah. Do they do enough? I They probably don't do enough. No chance. Um, you were talking about how at your high school, yeah, the school did some interesting stuff. that I attended in high school, but also where I did my student teaching as my first placement. They actually worked with the government students who were seniors at the time, fill out their voter registration cards yeah. and to help them do that. And then they also did another school I can't school remember I know if of. we did that or not. I really can't. Another school I know of actually did register the, like the men for selective service as well. And it was like kind of all in the same day or Still whatever. Still required for men ages 18, 18 to 25. Yeah. 1825 in this country not women even though sort of gender-based requirements with regard to military service have been lifted and revisited yeah so women are no longer prohibited from doing certain kinds of military service but we are not as yet required to Mm -hmm. sign up for the selective service which is kind of interesting but we would be too old for it anyways now yes we would 18 to 25 is the 
requirement, um, but. And then the other thing is that many times young people who are eligible to vote do not because of access and questions. So like as part of that formal education is learning those things, knowing how, knowing when, knowing where to go. And then also like most importantly is that voting is really the most patriotic thing that we can do as citizens. Yeah, it's the way we participate in our formal structure of government and democracy. So I'm going to include in the show notes at what six or so resources for voting if you need help to check your registration for a highlands you've got a day or two to make sure you're registered to vote to request an absentee which are highlands you're coming up on as well and check and make sure like if you can even cast provisional ballot ballots in some states if you don't have all of that worked out but just check you know just check into what yeah. the requirements are in your state um, about when you have to be registered by and you know, all those kinds of things but we'll, we're going to throw in some some of these resources i'm going to include the link for becoming a poll worker because um, they're badly needed Very cool. this year and every year. And then also there's a website called usa.gov slash election dash office. And if you go there and you enter your state and then you enter um, your your address and then it brings up for you all of the people that you'll be voting for according to your ballot and also about your polling info. Yeah. So if you're not sure where you're going to go, that's it. But here's what's most important. You need to make a plan to vote. You need to hold people accountable who can vote with you or would travel with you if you need a ride or if you can give someone a ride. Um, but make sure that you're planning this with others because you have to hold each other accountable to make sure it gets done. Um, don't wait necessarily even until the last day. In Ohio, you can early vote in person. We're going to go do that together. We're going to go vote early so we avoid crowded lines on yeah. election day. And so I just think, especially with wanting to be socially distanced, that's probably our best bet. But also just to make sure that there isn't something that happens. You run out of gas and you can't, you know, whatever. All kinds of things happen. So, yeah. You got to do it. Go vote. Okay. Fill in the blank. You do last week's. Okay. Last week's question was, and this is somewhat appropriate given today's subject. Yeah. We didn't, I, we didn't actually that. plan that. <laughs> but we don't anyway. normally have the next one planned. No, we don't. So. On this day in 1787, this important, and this was the day of our last recording, on this day in 1787, the US, this important U.S. document was officially signed, even though it wouldn't be voted into effect until two years later. <laughs> and that was the U.S. Constitution. Nice job. It's Constitution Day. We definitely planned that. All right. This week's question. Um, in 1972, the future notorious... Ruth Rader Ginsburg was the first woman hired with tenure at this New York School of Law. And I just, like, I cry thinking about it, but <laughs> yeah. not really okay yet. Yeah. But can we just say that, what a lady. Women's rights. And just, you know, I, I, glass I ceilings just, for everyone. Yeah, I remember I just you, can't. you told a story about one of your, I think it was one of your kids, but you were just saying, like, okay, well, what did she ever do? For oh, blah, 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 blah. yeah, I had a, yeah. And this is just an example that I don't think like many people realize, but can you just can you tell that story? Yeah, I had a yeah, I was talking to a, a freshman. So like a thirteen year old guy, basically, and I the the day we returned to school after her death on that Monday I wore a Ruth Bader Ginsburg shirt. And he kind of like jokingly but mockingly asked me, like, Well, what did she do for you? And I was like well, I bought a house four years ago and I don't have to be married to a guy or have my dad sign for it. So that's really nice. And he just stared at me like he didn't know what to say. Um, and I think it's because, you know, uh, stories like that of RBG and like what she advocated for are lost in this insane life of hers. But it's well, also they're lost in the in a very charged political environment we exist in, too. But just like. But also we're talking about something that happened way before this kid was born. Yeah. So for him, it's not history. Or news. For him, it would be obvious that women can do you that. You or I could just go and <laughs> sign a loan for a house and not have to have a man co-sign it. Yeah. Or a credit card. <sighs> but can I also just say that um, RBG would be saying to go vote. Yeah. That would be what she wanted. And so, if nothing else, you got to do it for her. I saw a quote that was like, if we've got to be ruthless, then we've got to be ruthless. And I was like, yes, that's the energy I need to vote. Anyways. Dash less. Or someone else was like, go to the voting polls and say, Ruth sent you. <laughs> Crying. Okay, Charles, what'd you learn? Oh, boy. Well, okay. Two things I learned this week. First was about 
this crazy what is essentially a cult called nexium which i had never heard of before but <laughs> i used to follow this actress who was in a tv show that i really liked on twitter and she disappeared from social media a couple of years ago and i was like oh that's weird because she seemed nice and she like responded to a couple of tweets that i'd made or whatever and then it turns out that she disappeared from twitter because she was allegedly involved in a, like a very higher up position in a weird like sex cult that had grown from this multi-level marketing company known as Nexium that marketed like self-improvement seminars and empowerment stuff and it's just like it was so weird because I just like randomly knew this actress from this tv show that I loved so I was just like oh she's this cool actress that plays this part and it's interesting and blah 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 blah, blah. and then I learned I like fell down a really deep rabbit hole learning about this weird cult and this guy who's like the cult leader is in prison in New York and uh people who are like in this cult supposedly have like gone to dance outside of his prison cell in Manhattan apparently on the regular so that's interesting <laughs> but anyway I learned about that that hmm. was a pretty weird one I feel like we're gonna have to talk about that I, it's there's a there's a whole HBO docuseries about it called The Vow Great. so I'm gonna dig even deeper into it because it just i'm just it was so, so out in of two blue. weeks you have another report in, yeah in two weeks i'll have another report about this cult but i mean you and i kind of like some true crime stuff so it's you know interesting to learn but the other thing i learned about this very recently was buying wholesale poultry which is as weird as it sounds and as messy <laughs> i i needed to i we're having a socially distanced outdoor gathering that required me to get a bunch of meat that you can't just go to the grocery store and get because it's like specific cuts and anyway we were like i went and i found a place that sold it and i was like i don't know exactly how much i'll need but it, they only serve <laughs> they serve it in a one in size box one size box is 30 pounds of this and i they so only I, accept cash yeah they were cash only which <laughs> they didn't tell me beforehand so i drove to this place and they kind of like you had to call to tell them you needed the box of it before yeah they don't have a storefront so it's like it's a poultry wholesaler so they're used to people driving up with like you know Box refrigerated trucks, yeah. trucks and but i just drove my little mazda and was like can i please have my box of turkey and they brought it out and it was like <laughs> a, it's 30 pound box of turkey that has like turkey guts all over it and i'm just it smells bad and i like who your car is gonna be so gross yeah my car is gonna be stinky but i, I but i just like i didn't know how else to get this because i needed like i didn't really need that much unfortunately <laughs> i got probably about option. twice as much as i needed and i almost bought four times as much as i needed except they didn't have two boxes because I wasn't sure because I needed I was estimating very badly about how many pieces this would be so anyway we have tons and tons and tons of turkey but I learned about you know I dove deep into the world of I don't like it wholesale poultry vendors it was very interesting <laughs> okay I'm what did so you learn <laughs> yeah my stuff is really weird this I week I learned how to create a video lecture using loom which is a, a screen recording app that you can download oh, cool. And because uh, I've had a lot of kids in and out for all kinds of reasons. And uh -huh. so I was trying to find ways to uh, include them in lectures, which is like the one thing that's the hardest to kind of, you and I mean, like make work when you're not in person, I think. Mm -hmm. And so I created a, you know, a video lecture using the audiobook and pictures of the text that we're reading and uh, recorded myself stopping it and answering like the questions that are on the study guide and kind of just breaking it down. And so uh, the kids did it filming class this week and and they seem to go pretty well and they like that they can go back and listen to it again and like hear my questions or like you know what i mean like hear me answering some of the questions and just kind of summarizing it um and it i'm gonna be honest it was a lot of work on like the front end of it but i feel i don't know i just feel a lot better that you know my kids who aren't there with us can still get the kind of experience you and i mean like that's the hardest thing mm -hmm. really like about kids who are learning virtually or even when we're distance learning like it's so hard to create or mimic or share with them what they missed in class. Right. And so this is one way I'm trying to combat that. So it's called Loom, L-O-O-M. My school does have the premium version, so I'm not sure what's available for free. We should link to it in the show notes. But I'll just link it sure just them. in case. It was very easy. Um, so I know there's a ton of competitors trying to fill up the space right now to offer you the best service. And I know that there are others, but... For me, I I used Loom and it made a great little video and I linked it on YouTube and it was it went well. Cool. I was I was happy with it. Uh, made me feel 
you know, more at ease about the stress of trying to keep everyone on the same page. Sure. So that's my weird, nerdy teacher thing that I learned. Great. Glad you shared it. All right. Anything else? Black lives don't matter. Go out and vote. Vote. Check out all of our resources to find out how to vote. Yeah. And tell, tell them. Hold your hold your representatives accountable in other ways also. Write them letters. Um, They'll email you back. Yeah. You might not like it. I get didn't, up, but get you up, did. Get you up in back. the grills of your elected representatives, please. Just get right up in their faces. See you in two weeks. We'll see you then. Thanks for supporting 16 to 1. We're trying to grow our audience, so please check us out at 16to1.com, all spelled out, and tell your friends about the show. On our website, you can find links to follow us on social media, an archive of all our old episodes, and a contact form where you can get in touch. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next show. Hello, Dolly! Anyways. Okay.